Well, good morning, everyone. How are you guys doing? Good. Um, my name's Taylor. I'm the director of student ministries here at North Campus. Um, I know a lot of you guys, which is really cool, but I've never got to come to Abide before, so I'm really excited to lead worship with Burdell this morning. Um, I want to read out of Psalm 92 for our call to worship before we sing. Listen to what God's Word says. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High. And then verse 2 says, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. So as we worship, we're not only thanking God for what he's done through us in Christ, for what he's done for us, but we're also responding to that and pointing to just how great he is. So let's stand this morning and do that. My hope. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Amen. That's right. Sing my hope. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Christ alone. Weak and made strong in the Savior's love. Through the storm, He is Lord, Lord of all. When darkness, when darkness seems to hide its face. I rest on His unchanging grace In every high and stormy gale My anchor holds within the veil My anchor holds within the veil Christ alone Cornerstone, we can make strong in the Savior's love. Through the storm, He is the Lord, Lord of all. See Christ, Christ come 
with trumpet sound. Oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone. Fall is to stand before the throne. Amen. We give him praise this morning. I want to live 
Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Your blood has washed away my sin. Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Want your enemy now seated at your table, Jesus. thank you for your blood. We thank you for your sacrifice, God. We pray that we will submit ourselves to your will, Father, as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto you. Father, we pray that you would prepare our hearts for your word and that we would receive a word from you today. Lord, we thank you for all that you've done, and we are just happy to be in your presence. It is a privilege to serve you, Lord. Thank you. morning. Um, I asked Heidi for just a minute before we get started. Um, I wanted us to spend a, just a, a few seconds in prayer for one of our ministers, um, Steve Adams, who is our senior associate minister. He's in charge of administration, so he does all the committee meetings and um, all the finances and does uh, a lot around here. And last week, his sister um, was involved in, a, had an accident and at first, they thought that she had had a stroke and had a wreck, and but then as the doctors began to look, they found a brain tumor, and this morning, she's having surgery for them to try to remove that tumor, and uh, gosh. they um, think that it's malignant, and Steve and his sister are real close. So it's just a kind of a burden on my heart for him. Um, the, his dad died when he was small, and so it's just him and his sister. And so I just wanted us to pray this morning for God to um, be with them and give them overwhelming peace and guide the doctor's hands. Lord, we thank you so much that you love us so much. And we thank you that you are sovereign over all things. That nothing happens unless you cause it. And Lord, we know that um, your hand is on this situation, and we lift up Steve and Rhonda to you. And I pray that you would give them supernatural, overwhelming peace, mm -hmm. that they would know that it is your hand and your spirit that's providing it because nothing else would give them such peace. I pray for his sister, that you would be with her during this surgery, that be with the doctors as they do the surgery this morning, guide their hands. Lord, we pray that you would make it much less severe than they think, um, that it would be a um, act of 
divine mercy that you would cause this tumor to be uh, less than what they think it is. And Father, we pray that they would be able to get the things out, that it, uh, that it would not affect her speech and her movement. Father, that you would um, make it so that they can get that out. Lord, we, we know that um, there's reason behind this. And so we pray that you would work your will, that you would um, give opportunities for the gospel to be shared with nurses and doctors and that they would see the faith in Steve and Rhonda and that their lives would be affected by that. And, um, uh, Lord, we just pray that you would just be with them during this uh, today and um, that you would give them small evidences of your presence, that they would see things and uh, the Holy Spirit would move in them to say, God's with you, God's with you, God is with you, and that they would um, know that you're present. Lord, we thank you for Steve and for his um, work that he does here in our body to keep us moving forward and to keep um, everything organized and uh, all that he does. Father, we thank you for sending him here and for Rhonda, the, the support that she gives him and the godly wife that she is. We thank you for her and we just pray that you would um, show them your presence this morning. Amen. I am, excuse me one second. Good morning. I am uh, very grateful for a pastor's wife that prays for us, for her people. I've been on the receiving end of that. I thank you. Thank you for the beautiful music this morning. Um, we're going to jump right in. In the fall of 2012, we had our very first Abide and that semester, our study was on loving your husband, which was the closest thing that we have had to a course on marriage. Since then, a lot has happened to marriage. In that same year, Barack Obama became the first sitting president to declare support for the legalization of same-sex marriage. By 2015, it was the law of the land. And according to CNN polls, the majority of the people support it, which means if those polls are accurate, the majority of the people support redefining marriage. According to life coach and author Maggie Rees of ModernMarried.com, the definition of modern marriage is there is none. You make it up as you go along. She argues society and individuals need to redefine marriage to fit our tastes and lifestyles. That sentiment is further detailed in the book The New I Do by co-authors Susan Godot and Vicki Larson. In it, they claim that marriage is dying and that we need to acknowledge what is already going on and think of new ways to marry. And then they provide some examples. For instance, you have the starter marriage. This is a renewable two-year marriage in which you agree to forego having children and you just give marriage a test drive. And then uh, you can re-enlist if you want. For those that don't care about passion, there are the companionship marriages. For those that do care about passion but not monogamy, there are the open marriages. 
If you're after financial security and health care, you would look into a safety marriage. One that is increasingly popular is the commuter marriage or the living apart marriage. This is when two people get to pursue their own careers and live apart, and yet they still um, are married. The authors contend that with so many marriages falling apart, maybe it's not the people that are failing, but the institution itself. We're expecting too much for it. So instead of telling women that you need to work harder on building your marriage, you just tell them to redefine it. Statistics tell us that the institution of marriage is shrinking. It is no longer a prerequisite, prerequisite for parenthood. And people are waiting until they are much older to marry. In fact, the average age at which a woman or a man marry is at a record high. And while marriage is on the decline, unmarried cohabitation is on the rise. Researchers tell us that cohabitation, once rare, is now the norm. And that a majority of young men and women will spend some time in a cohabitating relationship. Almost half of them will include children. Pew Research did a study and found that since 2007, the number of cohabitating adults ages 50 and older grew by 75%. So it's not just the young that are avoiding marriage. All of this led one writer to conclude, is America having a marriage crisis? Sounds like we are. Let me ask you, <clears throat> is the answer to the problems we experience in marriage to just redefine it or make it up as we go? Should we redefine our marriages to fit our tastes and lifestyles? And what about the whole same-sex marriage issue? Recently, in an online forum about same-sex marriage, an advocate wrote this, I've never once had any conservative be able to tell me how the legalization of gay marriage affects in any measurable way their relationship with their spouse. That's an interesting point. I wonder how you would answer that or respond to it. In fact, how would you respond to the marriage crisis in general? How do you define and explain marriage? What is it? What is it for? Why did you bother? And what difference does any of this make? If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Genesis chapter 2? Genesis chapter 2. Verse 18, this is going to be a familiar passage. Genesis 2:18 says this, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And 
the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Okay, we'll end there. <clears throat> this semester, we're going to be using the book, God's Design for Building Your Marriage by Kay Daigle. Hopefully, you did your first lesson. If not, that's okay. But be before we get into that first lesson, we want to lay some groundwork about marriage. And so first thing on your handouts, number one on your papers, marriage was God's idea. You could also say design. It was God's design. God created and ordained marriage. John Piper puts it this way. He says, God gave away the first bride. Okay, he not only gave away the first bride, he became the first officiant. Okay, you can see all through this passage, God is taking initiative. Marriage is not the creation of patriarchal men or politicians. Okay, the real popular teaching today is that marriage has evolved over time, okay, and that cultures adapted and changed it for their own needs and uses. Now, that's a very popular teaching because if you believe that, then you can redefine marriage to suit your needs, okay? But the Bible teaches that marriage was the first human institution that God has ordained and created, okay? And because God is the creator of marriage, he gets to define it. So let's do that. What is the definition of marriage? Number two on your papers. Marriage as created by God is a sacred, binding, lifelong covenant between one man and one woman. Now, I also have on your papers in a box the definition for marriage according to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. It says this, the state of being united as spouses in a consensual and contractual relationship recognized by law. Now, if you were to go online and check your major dictionaries, you're going to see that they are all broadening the definition of marriage to accommodate same-sex partnerships. Okay, now, but I want you to go back. I want you to circle the word covenant in the biblical definition and the word contractual in the second Okay, because those are two very different things, and we're going to talk about them. We need to understand them. In fact, next week, make a note of this. We are going to skip ahead to the lesson on covenant. We want to do that at the onset. It's lesson three, so skip, do the lesson on covenant this week. We'll go back and pick up lesson two um, after that. Okay, now let's move on. Uh, next point on your handouts. Number three, marriage is a divine institution and not a civil institution. The parameters are not set by men. Okay, that is just a fancy way of saying that God defines marriage. He sets the parameters. All right, now I want you to keep your fingers in Genesis. We want to turn to the New Testament. We're going to turn to Matthew 19 because we want to see how Jesus describes marriage and what he has to say about that. So Matthew 19, we're going to pick up in verse 3.
Matthew 19.3 says this, and Pharisees came up to him and tested him, okay, the him is Jesus here, by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered them, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no, no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Okay, next on your paper, number four, Jesus taught a high and definitive view of marriage. Nowadays, very common to hear people say things like, Jesus never talked about homosexuality. I mean, he talked about love, he talked about money, but he never condemned same-sex marriage. Or they'll say things like, he was neutral on the subject. Well, he was not neutral. I want you to see he is getting very specific about gender and number. Here's the next on your paper. Jesus, number five. Jesus defined the marriage model as the joining of one man and one woman. Now, he explains marriage in the same way that Genesis explains marriage. He takes them back to the garden. He takes them back and says that God, God is the one that said two shall become one flesh. Now, I want you to think about that because in math, one plus one equals two. All right, but according to Jesus in marriage, there is a joining in such a way that two become one. It's a mystery. It is God that joins so that two become one flesh. Here's our next point. It's a John Piper quote. Number six, becoming one flesh is a union that God himself performs. Piper puts it this way. When a couple speaks their vows and consummates their vows with sexual union, it is not man or woman or pastor or parent who is the main actor God is. God joins a husband and a wife in a one flesh union, end quote. Okay, God does the joining. Now, that phrase, hold fast, some of your versions may say joined. In modern Hebrew, it is the word for glue. Okay, that tells us something about marriage. Here's our next point, number seven. God's original intent was for marriage to be permanent and exclusive. Permanent and exclusive. All right, that means that after you marry, you unfriend the ex-boyfriends. Have you done that? It means you, um, you burn all your bridges because you're not going back. Alistair Begg puts it this way. He says you're stuck with each other. You are super glued. One of the things that I have noticed over the years, if I go to your homes, I see that you will always have your wedding pictures displayed. And they're beautiful. You should have them displayed. My guess is your children enjoy looking at them, especially your daughters. Can I give you some advice? You make sure that your children know that is a picture of the day that I made a promise to love your daddy till the day I die. And with the help of Jesus, I'm going to do it. 
you make sure your children know that as far as you are concerned, you are super glued. You are connected to their daddy. All right, marriage was also to be permanent. It was to be exclusive. One man, one wife. Singular, not wives. Now, you might find yourself asking, well, then why do so many of those Bible men have multiple wives? Good question. Good question. And if you're trying to understand that, we want to remember the order. Polygamy comes after the garden, after sin enters in. And every time it shows up in Scripture, unhappiness follows. Anytime you see a man with multiple wives, there's going to be a problem. Now, why make such a big deal about this today? Well, because the pundits predict that because we have legalized same-sex marriage, it's only a matter of time before we legalize polygamy or polyamory, which means many loves. Polyamory is a pretty new term. I put it on your handout. It means the state of having multiple sexually or romantically committed relationships at the same time with the consent of all parties involved. Sometimes it is called ethical non-monogamy. That's the term they prefer. It can be three, four, five people, mixture of genders. It is a group relationship, and they are very literally making it up as they go along. Newsweek magazine reported, openly polyamorous families in the United States number more than a half a million. Today there are poly blogs and podcasts and local, together, local get-togethers. Okay, listen, that was 2009. It's becoming increasingly popular, and much of that is attributed to millennials. It's the millennials. They've experienced the hookup culture. They had sexually liberated parents. Many of them uh, experienced divorce. And consequently, they tell us millennials are not sold on monogamy. I'm curious. Are you selling your children on monogamy? This past July in Colombia, the country, three men married. They had been a group of four and then one died. So they decided that they wanted to make the relationship official. So they were married and now they are being labeled a throuple. Ladies, God has designed that it will be one man and one woman. It's to be permanently and exclusively, okay? Now, I want to talk a little bit about the purposes of marriage, and I have a place on your paper to list a few. Not, we're not going to do all of them, but we are going to pick out some of the reasons that stand out from this Genesis passage, and we're going to do it quickly. Number one, protection. Protection. According to the Bible, men are to be protectors. Okay, and marriage is to help protect women. It's to provide a, a uh, stable safe place to raise families. Okay, it's also going to be a, a way of protection against sexual immorality. We see that uh, later on. All right, brings me to our next purpose, number two, procreation. Okay, married couples are to be fruitful and multiply and have little image bearers that have dominion over the earth and spread the glory of God. Okay, which, by the way, same-sex couples cannot do. All right, number three, enjoyment. Marriage is for enjoyment. You have been given body parts that have solely one purpose, and that is for the enjoyment of sexual pleasure. 
sexual married enjoyment and pleasure. And I have to point out that that kind of pleasure is intended for married couples only. All right, next uh, is companionship. Number four, the answer to Adam's aloneness was marriage. Okay, now Adam had lots of animal friends, but he had no human companion or complement. Okay, and God declared that not good. All right. and, and then our last purpose is a lot like it. It's intimacy. Number five is intimacy. That idea of one flesh, that screams intimacy. Okay, we have been created in the image of God, and therefore we have been created for intimacy. Emotional, spiritual, physical, all of it. And it is to be found in marriage. Okay, the marriage is the place for that. And now all of these things were present in that first marriage. All right, now next to this list, I want you to write in very big letters, secondary. Okay, these are secondary purposes and goals. You could also, um, if you got married for any of these reasons, they're good reasons, but, they're, but it's not the ultimate uh, purpose for marriage. Now, you could also write next to this benefits, because these are definitely benefits, ways that you benefit from marriage. But these are not the primary or the ultimate purpose for marriage. So then, what is? Well, we want to start, let's look back in Genesis for this. Turn to Genesis 1.27. You may have this one memorized. We visit it so often. Genesis 1.27 says this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Here's our next point. Number eight on your paper. The primary reason for creating man and woman and joining them in a marriage relationship was to mirror God's image. Marriage was created to mirror, and you could write magnify or glorify or reflect, any of those would work. Now, we get a taste of that in the Genesis passage. We have to go to the New Testament for the full explanation. So let's go there. I want you to keep your finger here, but find with me Ephesians chapter five. Ephesians chapter 5. You've got Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. This is going to be a familiar passage as well. Galatians 5 verse 28 says this. In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects the husband. Okay, Paul, he's the writer of Ephesians and he's telling us something. He's telling us this is a mystery. It's a profound mystery. In other words, he's telling us that this is something that the Old Testament folks didn't fully understand. Oh, the, oh they understood all the things that marriage provided. They understood that list. They understood the secondary things, but they didn't understand this. 
They didn't yet fully understand that marriage was to be a picture of the plan of redemption. They didn't understand that marriage is intended to display the glory of God in ways that other institutions and other events cannot do. Paul is explaining to us that marriage is patterned after the covenant relationship Christ has with his church. Marriage is the ultimate purpose of marriage is to display the gospel. Now, some of you may be thinking, how in the world does it do that? Clearly, you do not know what my marriage is like. Well, you're right. We have all got flawed marriages and are making a mess of this. But I want you to think with me. Jesus loves and cherishes the church. He wooed and pursued her. One of my <clears throat> sweetest memories is a story about my daughter and my son-in-law and how they started out uh, as friends and they would uh, hang out together in a group setting. Now, I knew how she felt about him. She was crazy about him. But she was not openly speaking that to him. I had uh, been telling her and teaching her the things that my mother taught me, and that was don't chase boys. Don't, you don't chase boys. Boys like to do the chasing, so don't pet chase boys. And so she didn't. And then uh, one day, after this went on for a while, um, one day she was going away for the weekend, and he knew about that, and so he contacted us, my husband and I, and he asked if he could come meet with us. And we agreed. I made pie. <laughs> and um, that day, or shortly after, while she was gone, he showed up at our door. Uh, we invited him in, and I very quickly learned he was not interested in pie. He was uh, a, a little nervous, but he says to us, I would like permission to pursue your daughter. Not, not asking to marry her yet, nothing, nothing like that. Uh, I, I've talked with my parents about it, and they have given me permission. Now I would like your permission to pursue your daughter. Now, we knew how she was going to respond, so you know, we were wanting to break out in dancing and cheering, but um, we, you know, we didn't. We were, my husband, yeah, that'll be fine, and so we agreed. <laughs> And then uh, after that, he, he went to her and he asked her permission to pursue her. And she answered with something, you know, like, what's taking you so long? And, um, and, then, and then the pursuing started. Now when they were in a group setting, his intentions were obvious. Now when he came to my door, he had flowers in his hand. He would ask her out on to her favorite restaurant. He would plan elaborate outings. He began to make her things. He began to write her love notes. He was pursuing her heart. He was chasing after her heart. Do you realize that is what Jesus does for his bride? He pursues and he woos her. The Bible tells us that no one seeks after God. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, it's because he has wooed and pursued and chased after your heart. Now, we read that Jesus laid down his life 
for his bride. He sacrificially loves her and cherishes her and nurtures her. And in the same way, that is what a husband is to do for his wife, for his bride. He is to put that part on display. And look at what the wife is to do. Look at verse 33, chapter 5. She is to respect. She is to joyfully honor and respect and submit to her husband. She is to represent the way the church honors Jesus. That's her part. You see, our marriages were to be these little mini gospel lessons to people so that they can look at our marriages and have a better idea of what God is like. They can look at our marriages and have a better idea of what the gospel is all about. Ray Ortland says this, every time a bride and groom stand there and take their vows, they are reenacting the Bible love story, whether they realize it or not. Here's our next point. Number nine, marriage is intended to picture the plan of redemption and the covenant-keeping character of God. Now you might be thinking, my marriage is so flawed. How can I possibly be picturing anything so honorable? Well, if you keep reading in Genesis, we would come to that story very quickly. We would read how sin entered the garden and marriages have been broken and changed ever since. I want you to listen how Ray Ortland explains it. The most remarkable thing about marriage today is not that it can be troubled, but that we still have the privilege at all. When God justly expelled us from the Garden of Eden, he did not take the gift back. He let us keep his priceless gift, though we sometimes misuse it. But what every married couple needs to know is that their marriage is a remnant of Eden. This is why every marriage is worth working at. It's worth fighting for. Ladies, your marriages are worth fighting for. Your marriages are worth working at. They're a remnant of Eden. Now, in our remaining time, I want us to go back and take a closer look at oneness, the concept of oneness. So turn with me back to Genesis 2, verse 24. Genesis 2, 24 says this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Here's our next point, number one. Oneness in marriage is not based on feeling. Not based on feeling. There is a very good chance that you are here today and you do not feel like you are one with your husband. Especially if you are married to a non-believer or you're having difficulties. But your oneness is not based on feeling. Praise God. Feelings change. Okay? Your oneness is based on the truth of God's word. Your oneness is based on the fact that when you married, you entered into a covenant with God as your witness, and he has declared that the two of you shall become one flesh. All right, now the homework, it pointed out three things that were going on in that verse 24 that deal with oneness. We saw leaving, cleaving, becoming one flesh. Now, let's define some of those expressions. All right, what uh, the word leave 
means leave. It means to let go. It means to give up. And it comes first because you really have to do this one before you can start on the other two. Okay, now, the man was to leave, he was to let go. In other words, the man was to cut the cord, so to speak. Okay, uh, does this mean that your husband is to abandon his parents or not have any contact with them? Does it mean that you shouldn't live near them or spend time with them? Some of you may wish that it did, but it means that if you are married, you are to cut the cord. You are to your days of living as a single person are behind you. Okay? It means that your marriage relationship is to be the primary relationship in your life. Apart from your relationship with God, that is. Humanly speaking, the relationship you have with your spouse is to have priority. Now, we're still called to love and honor our parents. We don't ever outgrow that, but the marriage relationship is to have priority. Now, what about children? What about the relationship between the mother and child? I mean, their children. Shouldn't that relationship take priority? Answer? No. Okay, no. No, you, you, surprisingly not. But hear me on this. The best thing that you can do for your children is to make the relationship with your husband the primary relationship in your life apart from God. Okay? Here, uh, marriage is to be a priority. Here's uh, point number two on our papers. If married, your primary relationship is with your spouse second only to your relationship with God. All right, let me ask you, does that describe your marriage? Is the primary relationship in your life the one that you have with your husband? Does it take priority? Or does he have to compete with your mother? Or your children? Or a hobby? Aside from your relationship with God, your marriage covenant is to have priority over everything else. Okay, now it also says that the man was to leave and then he was told to hold fast or cleave. Those, are, those two are the same. The man was to be glued to his wife, which is giving us a picture of how tight of a bond this is to be. Now, I want you to go back to that word that I had, the word covenant that I had you circle. And I want you to write next to that the word relationship. Okay? Because in Bible times, if you made a covenant with someone, you were in relationship with that person. All right, and then next to that word, I want you to write the word oneness, oneness. Because the mindset of covenant was oneness. You were to be one with your covenant partner. Now, there were different kinds of covenant, but when you made a covenant, you agreed to die to independent living, and now you lived in light of the covenant. So now you no, longer thought of in, you no longer thought of in terms of me and you. Now you thought in terms of us, we, our, okay? Now, uh, in the case of marriage covenant, I want you to notice something. It says they were to be one 
flesh. You could also translate that one person. You are no longer to act and function as two separate entities in the home. You are to be one person. Psychologists and authors Stinnett and Dufresne, they wrote a book called Secrets of Strong Families where they uh, researched more than 3,000 families from all over the world. Here's what they found, quote, they have a sense of belonging with each other, a sense of we. The we-ness factor loomed large as binding glue in their marriages. These husbands and wives were first and foremost, we always couples. They are, we might say, wired together, end quote. They called it wired together. The Bible calls it what? What's the Bible call it? Help me out here. Glued. You're glued. You're super glued. All right, number three. We are to live on, this is on your papers, three on your papers. We are to live as one person with our spouses. Mm, that sounds a little controversial, doesn't it? Does that mean that you cannot have your own distinct personality? or that you can't have thoughts and ideas of your own, does that mean that you have to disappear as a person and be exactly like your husband all the time? I hope you know the answer to that one. Here's our next point. Number four, the Godhead is our example of oneness, distinct in persons, yet completely one. That word one in this verse is the same Hebrew word that's used to describe God being one. God is three persons, each one equal, but separate and or, but distinct in function and role. Okay, likewise, our oneness is not based on our sameness. Okay, we are not one because we're the same. We are one because we are two distinct beings coming together and filling in the gaps. All right, that's the picture of one, oneness we want to have. Now, sometimes that word cleave uh, has another aspect too, to it. To, it means to, uh, another aspect can be to pursue hard after the wife. One pastor put it this way. He said we're to weave. So you've got leave, cleave, weave. And the weaving is a lifelong process. All right, here's our next point. Number five, oneness in marriage is a lifelong process. All right, what, what would the weaving in marriage look like? What would it look like to pursue hard after oneness? What would the process of pursuing oneness look like? Well, um, in, in many ways, that's what we're going to spend this next course talking about. Every week we'll be addressing that. And as we do that, we're going to see two primary themes that are going to show up every week. Brings us to our next point, number six. All relational restoration begins by going back to God. Okay, it's God that restores. It's the gospel that redeems marriage. We're going to be talking about marriage. I promise you it will get very practical in the weeks ahead. Weeks ahead. And we're going to be talking about oneness every week. But we cannot have any fruitful discussions until we first and foremost address the gospel and, 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 chase, uh, and chase and pursue God. Here's our next point. Number seven, oneness in marriage requires us to die to independent living. If, 
you were here for the course on First Peter, we called it something else. We called it laying down your lives. Sometimes we read um, about dying to self. Our goal each week is going to be oneness in marriage to the glory of God. And so I, I want to warn you, every lesson that we talk about this semester is going to challenge us to die to independent living. Be warned. Now, I have a triangle on your paper because preachers will often compare your marriage to a triangle, representing the fact that um, there are three of you in marriage. You've got you, your husband, and God. And, and they'll say that you and your husband are positioned at the far corners. And as you both pursue God and die to independent living, you grow closer together, you grow closer to God. Okay? The best thing that you can do for your marriage is chase after God and die to independent living. Now, um, some of you may be thinking, uh, that's a real nice visual on your paper, but um, what if my husband doesn't want to chase after God? What if my husband has no interest in God? Or maybe you have a, a believer, uh, but he's just been really distracted lately. Some of you may feel that when it comes to keeping your marriage together, you're the one doing all the heavy lifting. There are a lot of marriage courses out there that are written to couples. We purposely chose one that was not. You may be feeling completely overwhelmed in your marriage, and you may have a husband that has no interest in working on it. Here's how one preacher addressed that. Your husband is irrelevant. Some of you are married to wonderful, godly men. Some of you are married to very difficult husbands. Now, I'm not talking about abusive here. That would, that's would really be a different lesson. I'm talking about difficult husbands. And in that case, they're irrelevant. Now, I want to explain that because it, it may be very relevant when it comes to your circumstances. But it is irrelevant when it comes to your obedience, when it comes to your faithfulness. And ladies, there is joy in obedience. I can, I can tell you that from experience. There's joy and there's hope when we are faithful and obedient. It will be far more productive for us to focus on our obedience and our faithfulness than to spend time trying to change husbands. Here's our last point, and it is from the book. Number eight, we can be faithful to God's purpose for marriage even if our spouses are not. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you that you are a God of restoration and that you redeem and that you fill our lives with hope. I praise you for that. And I pray that you make that known to these women. Each week they open their Bibles and begin to study and maybe they're hit with um, convicting things or hard things. I pray that you'll be their hope each and every week. I pray that we'll be faithful wives. 
I pray that no matter what our husbands do, that we will be faithful to put on our part of the display. And Father, we ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Now, excuse me, before I dismiss you, a um, couple things. I have on your, on your tables, there should be a schedule of um, our schedule. It'll be the dates that we meet and the lessons that we do. We're shaking things up. We're not doing things in order. So um, I want you to be aware of that. Also, I have one of my most favorite people in the world here to make an announcement about some ministry opportunities. So would you uh, welcome, uh, welcome Beth Morgan. Come on up. Can you hear me back there? I'm not getting no response. Okay. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay, good. Um, again, my name is Beth Morgan, and I want to thank Heidi very much for that lesson. That was powerful. Um, some of you have, may have heard me already speak, and so I'm just going to do a little short synopsis for those who haven't. Um, my husband and I started a ministry called Beside the Road Ministries. Um, about five years ago, I found a trailer park um, in total disarray, and I walked around for about several months saying somebody should do something, and I felt the Lord tell me that I should do something. And um, so I came home one day from work. I was a teacher with a master's degree, 15 years experience, and I tell you that because I came home and I told my husband I want to quit my job, and I want to start tutoring these children in the trailer park. And he said to me, we've got to go talk to Justin about this. And um, we went to Justin, and Justin said, I think you, you have to let her try this. So the following year, I quit my job, and I started tutoring kids. Well, to tell you how it happened was um, we prayed one day, and we went in, and we saw a gentleman. And I walked up to the gentleman, and I said, I want to start tutoring the kids in the trailer park. And he said, and he didn't speak English. So one of the little girls said to me, um, where do you want to do it, and when do you want to do it? And I said, I want to do it here. And she said, if I find you a place, will you come? And I said, yes, I'll come on Wednesday. I went, and 30 children showed up for tutoring. And what I found out was that the parents don't speak English, so they can't help their kids with the homework. So I ended up helping the children with their homework. And just to let you know, it has grown. <laughs> we now have an in-school tutoring program. We have an after-school tutoring program. We have a summer tutoring program. We provide lunches for the kids during the summer because some of them will not eat otherwise. Um, we have Operation Charlotte come in. We have soccer camp come in. And um, that's where we've grown. Um, so I'm here today because we are going to buy a trailer <laughs> in the trailer park. And we are actually looking for donations for that. And the other reason that I... Uh, this is the other thing I do want to ask, is that my first priority is to ask that you be, pray. I really need prayer warriors because we want these families to come to Christ. Um, and we want them to see the love of Christ in us when we go there every time we go in the trailer park. Um, we are developing relationships with these families. Um, and it has grown. And they know why we're there. You know, they say things on the side that they know that we're Christian and that's why they're, we're there. So they see us and they know us. And what we, we eventually hope to do is to start missional community there. And that's why we want to buy the trailer. 
we're open to buy this trailer. And like I said, we're looking for donations. And the other thing is that um, through talking to Tammy is that I realized that we have great resources here. And we are going to, we're taking ownership of the trailer next week. So my husband and I are going to go in and see what needs to be done. And this trailer is 40 years old. It's a great shape for being 40 years old, but there's a lot that needs to be done in it. It needs to be clean. I have to pull the, the we have to pull the carpets out. We've got to put laminate in it. Um, we have a lot of things we have to do. We, we're without a refrigerator. The stove is broken. Um, we need a washer and dryer. There's a lot of things that we need. And so one of the things that um, I came up with, Tammy came up with the idea, is that when, after we get in there and we figure out what we need, we're going to make a sign-up genie. And that one, um, during the weekends, you guys could sign up and help us do projects that need to be done in there. Um, that could be anything. That could be painting. That could be cleaning. That could be anything that you, you feel that you could do would really be helpful to us. Um, so those are kind of some of the things that we've been thinking about, and 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 I want you, would like you to pray and see if maybe you could help and serve in that way. What I will do is when when we have the sign up, Jeannie, I will tell Tammy, and that way she could tell you guys whether to sign up, and and we could go from there. So, um, does anybody have any questions before you go to? Okay. Did, okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you. I, I love hearing the story, and thank you for the update. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. 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 And tell us the um, how how do they contact you? Oh. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, I have a sign-up sheet here, so I could sign up, and you get the email address. I also have I um, we do have a um, we have believe it or not we have a website. <laughs> um, Heidi's son created a website, so we have a website. Um, it's besidetherealministries.org. Um, you could sign. Contact me through BTR Ministries at Gmail. Um, I do have some little um, cards or little uh, snippets that um, for our address. If you want to get any information, I also have a sign-up sheet. If you want email or and put us on the email so that that way I could give you the newsletters and tell you what's going on in our in the community. Okay. Absolutely. That's great. Okay. That's All great. Right. Thank okay. You. Very good. Yeah. All right, ladies. The time is ticking. So get to your small groups. There's stuff that you need to go over this morning. Have a have a good day. Have a good morning. <laughs>